We are wrapping everything up today, and I want to uh, just end off with some final little reminders and encouragement. And then at the end, we're going to take part uh, in communion. Well, we're not really doing it together. You're going to do communion. Uh, individually, we have the little cups with the wafers under your chairs. And there's a little video that I want to show to you that is going to kind of pose this question. It's, it's, a, it's a video of Jesus towards the man, some of you might be familiar with the story, who had been handicapped, physically handicapped for 38 years. I mean, I, I wish you could watch the whole episode. This is from The Chosen Season 2, Episode 4, but to actually get some of the background, to, to get a bit of a sense of what life was like for this man and how all of his hopes had been dashed to ever recover and get well. And after 38 years, Jesus comes to him on the Sabbath day. And he asks him, we'll read this in John chapter 6, verse 6 in the NIV. It says, he, he simply said to the guy, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, that might sound like a patronizing question, maybe even a bit of an insensitive question. I mean, can you imagine today if you went up to someone who was maybe in a wheelchair or, or someone that was, was physically handicapped in some way and has been like that for the last 38 years? Can you imagine how social media would blow up if you were found asking this person, hey, do you want to get well? Like you'd be shot, right, for being so insensitive. But Jesus isn't actually being insensitive. He's asking him a genuine, legitimate Valid question. The reason why I want to emphasize this, besides the fact that this is one of the miracles of healing that Jesus did on the Sabbath, which I don't think was a coincidence, by the way, the reason that I'm wanting to emphasize this is because I think it is so easy for us to live life in a way that we just become accustomed to living a subpar, insufficient, even handicapped life. And I'm asking you today, as we finish this series, as we, as we are trying to bring all of these practical principles to, to bear and encouraging you to actually do something with it, to actually experiment, I'm asking you the question today, do you want to be well? Have we even given meaningful thought to what well looks like? To what being increasingly whole and healthy looks like emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, intellectually. God wants us to be increasingly whole and healthy. And I do not believe that Sabbath is the answer. It's not the silver bullet. It's not the shortcut. But I believe that it is a significant catalyst that if we can get a taste of what it looks like. And we, we've looked at scriptures over the last few weeks about how one of the reasons behind the Sabbath is to show us that it's a gift, it's not something that we can earn. Um, there's another passage where it reminds us that we are no longer slaves, but we're actually sons and daughters. We get to rest before everything's done, before we've earned it. And so I believe that there's a catalyst that takes place. There's something that takes place that if we live that one day differently, I believe that it can actually have an effect so that we actually start living all seven days differently. And I believe that as we do that, we can actually experience increasingly the wholeness, the health, the restoration that, that God has planned for us. I've actually titled this message, Restore, 
because I think so often we're living somewhat abused lives and we don't even realize it. The, the simple definition of the word abuse is to simply misuse something compared to its original intent. How often are we living lives differently to the original intent? Where we are actually invited to live in response to love, not earning love. Where we are, where we are uh, invited to actually live a life of purpose and meaning and making a difference because he's made a difference in our lives. And because, so, so not to prove or earn anything, but to respond to the most outrageous gift ever given to man and the fact that we get to enjoy this relationship. So, so, so in order to help us live out our purposes, to actually help us experience the kinds of relationships, marriages, careers, to actually, to actually uh, handle, steward our finances in a way that is life-giving, these are all things that we're invited to do as a response to His gracious love. And there's something about the Sabbath, I believe, that just, it's like it just, it slaps our current Western culture in the face. It, it just recalibrates us. So do you want to get well? This is a question that Jesus asked, and today Jason is asking the question. You don't have to respond to me, but I am encouraging you to respond to God. And during communion, I'm wanting you to give some serious reflection to that question. Do you actually want to be well, or are we so connected, so addicted to our identity of fatigue and brokenness and, and just just living a life that actually we've settled for. Anyway, a couple of examples of where Jesus healed on the Sabbath. I just mentioned the story in John uh, chapter, actually, I think it's John chapter six. Forgive me if that's incorrect on the notes there, where he heals the man that was handicapped for 38 years. There are several passages that record Jesus healing a man with a deformed hand. If you watched the last episode that was released a couple of days ago from The Chosen, you actually saw that miracle uh, on the episode. Then he casts out an evil spirit. We've got the passages in our version notes as well as on the screen. He heals the sick in Mark chapter 6. He heals a man with abnormal swelling of his body. Um, some refer to it as dropsy. And he healed a man born blind. Like Jesus very, very intentionally seemed to use the Sabbath to actually bring healing and restoration. And I believe that this is still available to us. I want to go back, uh, Rebecca, if you don't mind going right back to the very first slide. Um, the one passage that I don't think we, I've actually read in full to you yet that is one of the most famous about the Sabbath is found in Exodus chapter 20. This is, this is where the Ten Commandments are recorded. And in verse 8 it says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. It's the only one of the Ten Commandments where the word remember is used. I can't help wondering if it's because God knew that we would be very inclined to forget and then remember, we've explained that that word holy means to be set apart, is that kadush, where, where, you actually, where you're actually intentional about creating that space. goes on in verse uh, 9 to say, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, so do it. Like, you need to do the ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, so don't let any of your servants work on the Sabbath day, okay? Even your livestock and any foreigners living among you. Listen, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little bit tiny cheek. Think about that. 
Think about how we have created a world where, where refugees and asylum seekers are the most used and abused. Is it possible that Sabbath is not even just a, an invitation and a, and a gift to, to our individual lives, but that it's actually meant to be a gift to communities, to families, where people are not misused and abused? There's so much. Just so you know, I think I've got about 12 books on my desk, okay, about Sabbath. We're trying to just highlight a couple of things here, so, so bear with me. Verse, uh, there's lots that we'd like to get into in greater detail. Um, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. God rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath. Remember that word blessed means to, it's life-giving, it's the ability to reproduce. He blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, I, I heard a story a little while ago that someone relayed from an American retired admiral, Navy admiral, where he had been explaining the difference between the way that soldiers had returned from World War II and the way that soldiers returned to America from Vietnam. And he, and he, was, he was asking this particular guy, this, this pastor who, who, was, who was sharing this message, whether or not he had, had noticed any of the significant trends. For example, some of you know that that the generation that came back from World War II were known as the baby boomers. Anyone know why? There were a lot of babies that were created when they came back from the war. There was a boom of babies. They came back excited, relieved, uh, wanting to, you know, celebrate and have babies. And, and I don't even know if they wanted to have babies or just a lot of sex. I don't know. But, but, the, but many, some of you are those baby boomers right? Then he, he explained, or, or he made reference to the fact that so many of the soldiers that came back from Vietnam, broken. They, they, there was no baby boom. Families were, were dysfunctional. Marriages were hard hit. I think alcohol abuse went through the roof. And I think it was the first time that the epidemic of heroin use was so prevalent. Now, this is a retired admiral who's explaining this, and he says he thinks that the difference was that post-World War II, for the soldiers to return home, they had to spend a couple of months at sea on a ship. The returning soldiers from Vietnam had gotten onto an airplane, and within a couple of days, they were back in their homes. And he was arguing for the, the role of that time and space that the World War II veterans had on the ships to grieve, to cry, to, to feel the loss that they had experienced as they saw friends and, and colleagues killed. The men coming back from Vietnam had had no time, no space to process, to grieve, to feel. This same pastor then went on to say that the only time, now this was pre-COVID, that he was preaching this, to say that the only time in his living memory that he'd ever seen the nation rest was on the day of 9-11. That it took a national catastrophe to cause everyone to actually stop what they were doing, pay attention to the news, and feel something. Now, I would argue that since then, we've experienced that with COVID. We've experienced that with our first shutdown in March and April last year. 
And, and I would imagine that for some people, there was a sense of relief. I know that, there were, that for many, there wasn't because there was the fear of income and the effect on the economy, which is understandable. But I think that for some people, it was like, I'm allowed to just breathe for a moment. And the point that I'm trying to make is that I think that there is something to be said for having the space to, to get off the treadmill, to stop just moving on to the next. And, and that's why, look, some people are projecting that there's going to be and, and already there's signs. I mean, we, yeah, we've seen anxiety levels, depression levels go through the roof. And I think that there's going to, I think that we're still going to discover the effects of ungrieved, unmourned loss that's taken place over the last 15 months. And the point I'm trying to make, that might all sound very heavy, bear, bear with me for a moment, is that I actually think that even slowing down and creating space on Sabbath appropriately speaking, can actually give us just space to restore, to recover, to feel. We went through something several years ago, uh, well, most of you know the story, with our youngest daughter who was with us from birth till, till the age of eight and then moved back to her, her biological mother who we have a great relationship with and has done an amazing job. But I realized a couple of years ago that I, didn't gr I never grieved properly. I never actually allowed myself to think about process or even talk to someone in an intentional, meaningful way what it meant for our family to suddenly have lost our, our, our normal. And for about five years, I couldn't look at a photo or a video of, of, of some of these memories without it actually stirring up something that I thought was negative, and so I would just suppress it. Until I took leave, in the month of July, a couple of years ago, and I felt like God gently, and isn't it amazing how kind God is? Where he like gently said, Jason, you, you do everything, like there's this instinctive thing to escape or medicate anything that feels negative. And we want to move on to what's positive and move on to God eternal things, you know, to work out together for good. And, and, and that's true. That doesn't, that doesn't take away the fact that there's loss. Some of you have experienced loss in this season. And not only is it okay, you need space to feel, to grieve, to get mad, and to recover. I believe that one of the reasons that Sabbath is a gift to us is that it just gives us that space, either celebrate and rejoice or when appropriate. You'll see in a moment, I'm going to recommend that you try and avoid focusing on unnecessary negative stuff on Sabbath, but there are times where you need necessary space to just feel and process. So I want to take a look really quickly at just six types of recovery. I've touched on these before, and on the version notes, there's a devotional at the bottom uh, by Dr. Saundra Smith called Sacred Rest. But just before I get into that, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I want to just say it one more time about a report that was published in the Huffington Post in July 31st. 2014 by Ryan Buxton, where he observed that Seventh-day Adventists, now I don't know much about them, I just know that they're very strict on certain things, including and especially the Sabbath. Interestingly, by the way, the only work that a Seventh-day Adventist person is allowed to perform on the Sabbath is something that's related to the medical field. So if you're involved in healing, okay, I thought that was more significant than what some of you think. The point, though, that he was making in this article, amongst others, 
is that on average in America, on average, Seventh-day Adventists live 10 years longer than the average American, okay? So I like to think about details. I did the sums. Let's say if the average American lives 70 years, all right? And so they're saying that they live on average 10 years longer to 80. Think about how many Sabbaths they were taking 70 years. So 52 Sabbaths in a year times 70 is 3,640 days. 10 years is 3,650 days. I'm like, hmm, thanks, Sue. That's like, like, that's interesting, right? Now, as I worked that out, the next thought I had is some of us wouldn't want to live another 10 years. And that should tell us something. That should tell us something about the way that we are experiencing life right now. So I'll go back to the original question. Do you want to be well? Because I think that there is a way to do life that we actually want more of it. I don't mean that from a narcissistic, hedonistic, I mean, I mean where, where we're like, God, I want to achieve everything you want this side of eternity. I'm, I'm looking forward to eternity. Eternity is a promotion. I, I want it. It's a gift. That's great. But God, I, I, like, I'm actually going to, I want to, I want to get everything I can according to your purposes out of this life. But I think that's only possible when we're living in a way that is healthy. All right. Six things very quickly because I want to give some space to communion. Number one is physical, okay? Physical restoration. I believe that Sabbath is, amongst other things, it help us to actually recover physically. And the thing is, now this might surprise you, for those of us that work in mostly sedentary jobs, so where you are mostly sitting around, all right? You're, you're in meetings, you're doing a lot of work on the computer, you're reading, you start, whatever the case is, for you, physical recovery might actually look active. That's why for me, going out for a hike or a run or something is actually replenishing. But if you work in a labor-intensive job where you are very physical for five or six days a week, then you probably need a day where you just lum and, and it's guilt-free. Like, you, you don't have to catch up on all the chores at home. No, no, you actually... Just rest. You lie around. You can sleep in. You, like, whatever. So, so what does physical recovery, what does physical restoration look like to you? A.J. Swoboda, author of the book, uh, Subversive Sabbath, says that the principle of Sabbath is this. The Sabbath is the opposite day. It's the opposite day. So if you're very involved in thought leadership, well, then maybe try and get out of your head on Sabbath. If, you're, if you are someone that's, that's very uh, physically involved, then maybe just veg out and chill out. Number two is mental. So, so this, is, this is kind of closely connected to number one. And again, the idea here is that if you're in a job where you're not mentally stimulated all day, every day, then for you, rest or recovery might actually look like reading something, studying something. Uh, I, I don't know. Again, it shouldn't be something that you have to do. It should be something that you want to do that actually helps stimulate, re, uh, re, reproduce, recover something in your mind. But then there are others where you're involved in thought leadership all day long and your, and your mind is going all the time. Then I would argue that you need to find something to do that actually helps like bypass your brain for a bit. 
And if that freaks you out, you're probably the person that needs to commit to something that's going to bypass, bypass your brain. So even yesterday, for example, going on the hike, everything in me wants to listen to something because I want to. I, I enjoy being stimulated. But I just, I, like, almost immediately, I just had this thought, Jason, like, stop it. Like, shut up. You don't need to listen to another book right now. Just be present. Get into nature. Listen to the leaves, the birds. I mean, with, with the rain, the, the rivers, and the streams, and, and, and what did I say, milkshakes? Waterfalls. I don't know, I don't know where that comes from. You know, we're, we're, we're noticeable. It was beautiful. I needed to give my brain a rest. This is the longest quote I'll probably ever read to you. Okay? So I'm asking you in advance to dig deep, pretend you just had some caffeine or Ritalin or whatever the case is, and pay attention. Because I read this at the beginning of Wayne Muller's book called Sabbath a long time ago, and then again, and then again, and then again. I've never gotten past the first few pages because I felt like there's just such depth in what he's talking about. Now, he's someone that is incredibly involved in social work, in uh, dealing with nonprofits and problems and injustice and pain, right? And trying to solve that stuff. Listen to what he says. I have sat on dozens of boards and commissions with many fine, compassionate, and generous people who are so tired, overwhelmed, and overworked that they have neither the time nor the capacity to listen to the deeper voices that speak to the essence of the problems before them. Presented with the intricate and delicate issues of poverty, public health, community well-being, and crime, our impulse, born of weariness, is to rush headlong toward doing anything that will make the problem go away. Maybe then we can finally go home and get some rest. But without the essential nutrients of rest, wisdom, and delight embedded in the problem-solving process itself, the solution we patch together is likely to be an obstacle to genuine relief. Born of desperation, if it often contains enough fundamental inaccuracy to guarantee an equally perplexing problem will emerge as soon as it is put in place. And then here's the last part. In the soil of the quick fix is the seed of a new problem. Because our quiet wisdom is unavailable. Some of the most compassionate and kind and generous people I've known that have worked in, in, in areas relating to justice are some of the most tired and angry and in some cases ugly. Because we're not taking the time to rest. Number three, emotional. And this is where I want to encourage you to delay those things that drain you emotionally as much as possible. This is not if someone's having a heart attack or, or is in urgent need of medical attention or Sue and I needed to have a conversation about stuff in our family a few weeks back on, on our Sabbath, the Saturday, and I felt like it was the right, like we needed that space to have that conversation. So, so, so there are those times where you need that space to grieve or to, or to maybe just in an unrushed, uninterrupted way deal with something. But like anything that is emotionally draining, that, that isn't critical, try and keep that for the other six days. 
So for most of us, I would say try and keep the news for like the rest of the week if you have to. Try, try and put off thinking about problems at work that you, can't, that you shouldn't actually be able to deal with on your Sabbath. I think I might have mentioned this in one of the previous weeks, that, that research has shown that even just us thinking about the problem at work, is the, it releases the same chemicals as if we were actually in the office at work sorting out the problems. Then you might as well just go to work. So, so it's this balance that we need to figure out. I like how A.J. Swoboda says that on the Sabbath, our irresponsibility to the whole world becomes anointed. Like, you're allowed to not be responsible for the world. Number four is spiritual recovery. And this is where, where the hope is that you actually experience a taste of the relationship, a taste of the peace, a taste of the joy, a, a taste of perspective that actually prompts you to want to spend more time with God daily, whether, whether it's in a block of 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 minutes, or whether it's in addition to that in, in moments that you have throughout the day as you may be going to the bathroom or you're traveling or whatever the case is. But there, this shouldn't feel like, when we are healthy, this should be an invitation that we can't wait to get to. We, like, like we want to express gratitude. We want to, as, as we wake up and, and thoughts cross our mind, we want to be able to surrender those things that are burdening us. We want to worship. We should be recovering spiritually. Number five is social. Social recovery or restoration. And this is where you're allowed, in fact, not only are you allowed, I would urge you, as far as possible. Now, in some cases, you live with them, so you can't help it. Hopefully, that's not the case for many of you. But as far as possible, don't spend time with people that drain you. If you, if you, on the Sabbath, okay? The other six days of the week, I think, in fact, I think that's the whole point. We should be replenished enough to be able to be present with people that drain us the rest of the week, appropriately. But, but there's a day where you're allowed to, I think, just be healthy, selfish, if that makes sense. Or, or if you're introverted, you're like again, depending on your family or living circumstances, you're also allowed to have some time alone, where you, where for you that social rest is like, I don't want any social interaction, just me, myself, and I. That's okay. And then finally, uh, Taro, you can come on up. Is sensory recovery or restoration? I think more than ever before in history, we are living in an age of overstimulation. And I believe that overstimulation can numb our souls. I think that without us even realizing it, we are so addicted to entertainment, to stimulation, to, to something that's going to make us feel alive. That, that's why we can live so easily, vicariously through a movie or a series or, or through um, whoever it is that, that you might be you know, following online, and I think that the danger of that is that we land up, we do land up living vicariously, and so we don't land up living our lives. I think that for many of us, we need to actually rest our senses. Like, like this is such a burden for me, that it's, these are some of the conversations that we're even having as a, as a leadership team about how we even do church. Are we just adding to people's sensory overload, or are we actually creating space for people to actually just, like, just breathe. Just be. So, 
This might look different for different people. For some people, I think it does require very intentional digital boundaries where, where, where for some people it might need to be as hectic as packing devices away for 24 hours. Um, but for others, it's, it's maybe just turning your phone onto the grayscale uh, mode so that you're not, uh, you know, because everything's less attractive in grayscale. We, we, we've spoken about this before. Or, or, it's, or it's not, you know, being on three devices at the same time. Um, or, it's, or it's maybe, again, for me, I appreciate being out in nature because the sound is different. From a sensory point of view, the sound, the air, the, what I'm seeing is just so different to what I'm surrounded by the rest of the week. I don't have time to get into our 10 best practices. We've mentioned these before, but it's on our version notes as well. I want to go back to the way that I started, which is simply to ask you, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Have you maybe come to the end of yourself where you are constantly looking for things to do for you that they're incapable of doing? Maybe it is entertainment. Maybe it is stimulation. Maybe it is people that you keep hoping, dating another person or, or, or finding another group. And, and we just keep hoping that that's going to actually meet the need that only God can meet. So, this is a very unusual way for us to do communion. We've never done this before, but we're actually going to show you just a, a short clip. It's a few minutes from season two of the, the series, The Chosen. And it's actually a depiction of this interaction that Jesus has with this man that has been handicapped, physically crippled for 38 years. And, and I want you to hear what Jesus is asking him and how he responds to the man's answers. And how he keeps going back to you, but do you want to be well? But also what I want you to pay attention to is the way that Jesus looks at him. And as we take part in communion today, I want you to be reflecting on, God, do I actually want to be well? Where are you inviting me towards healing? But also, God, how, how do you look at me? I think too often we think that God is looking at us with anger, with hatred, with, with, with repulsion, with disappointment. And I'm not convinced that that is his natural disposition when we fail, when we're struggling in our faith, and when we're discouraged. So pay attention, and then I'll wrap up.